Josh Ross. Today's guest is the co-founder and co-CEO of Humanitix, a humane events ticketing platform. Humanitix, a nonprofit tech company, makes events more accessible for patrons with disabilities and donates 100% of profits from booking fees to education charities. Josh will also share insights about his superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. Josh, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I am really, really excited. Thank you. Me too. Pleasure to be here. Well, uh, Josh, uh, Humanitics is doing something that really moves me. And as as someone who's in the midst of planning and organizing an event, I begin to see every nuance is interesting. And I'm going to have to just hold back my inner event organizer nerd self uh, to not ask too many you know, questions in the minutia uh, and stay kind of big picture for our audience. But uh, tell everybody about Humanitix. Yeah, thank you. So Humanitix is a ticketing platform for events that event organizers use. If you think of it, it's like an ethical alternative to a, an event bride. Um, it's actually structured as a charity. So in America, it's a 501c3. So we have no shareholders. We exist to solve social problems. So all the profits we make from our booking fees go into different education programs. Globally, we focus on young girls' literacy programs. And in America, we partner with Co.org, and we fund computer science and STEM programs for disadvantaged kids from low-income backgrounds. Um, It started in Australia, as you can probably tell from my accent. And uh, yeah, in Australia and New Zealand, it's um, the go-to event ticketing platform, the only charity in the sector, and it's super exciting because it's it's truly at scale. Uh, We only launched in North America, setting up a headquarters in Denver, more recently, but it's it's going really well. We've already got well over a thousand events on the platform. It it is amazing to think about taking what has been a for-profit business and making it a genuinely nonprofit, really serving uh, the the community in such powerful ways. Uh, you know. I don't know what Eventbrite is worth. I didn't check. I don't know if it's $100 million or $4 billion, but it's worth a lot of money. Um, a charity, by definition, has no tangible personal value, right? You can't sell your shares. You don't have shares, as you mentioned. What inspired you to create something that would you know, provide you a living, but not wealth? Yeah, thanks. Um, comes back to the theory of change behind humanitics. So... We think technology is the biggest driver of change. And traditionally in the non-for-profit sector, they can't really compete. They can't attract amazing software developers. So me and my co-founder, Adam, we had this vision of how amazing would the world be if we had technology charities at scale that could use that force purely for good because technology is not inherently good or bad. Um, It's how we use it. And so the vision was nothing to do with ticketing. It's how do we use technology to solve social problems? And uh, we're less well known for this, but like a massive problem in the events industry is accessibility for people with disabilities. If you speak to people with serious challenges, they've probably given up going to live events. And that's a problem that can't be solved just through a traditional charity. And no for-profit business has put up its hand to fix that. Um, And so that's something we're trying to change. And so when you've got the tension of shareholders looking for profits, Ultimately, when you've got social projects that don't necessarily have a financial return, it makes it really hard to achieve that in that framework, which is why no event platform that we've seen is properly tackling a problem like that, which is a massive problem in the industry. 
And so um, from me and Adam's perspective, we're lucky, grew up in Sydney, great economic situation here, great education system. We've been privileged to grow up in that. So we don't really have much downside risk. Like you can't starve the death in Sydney. Um, we've got good, you know, we had six years of corporate experience before this where we were doing well. So come from decent families that have supportive. And so we don't need to make tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars personally. So as long as we can earn an honest living, this is a way more exciting thing to do with our time. Um, it's a lot more meaningful. It's, it's, uh, we attract incredible people to our organization and we could do that as a hybrid model, but, um, we also give all our profits to education programs. And if we took on investors, there'd be a natural tension there. And, and we didn't need to, we found philanthropists that understand that the power of what we're doing and that is self-funding. We've become a self-funding charity in Australia, New Zealand. So we didn't need investors for long. It was like a five-year funding gap. We actually, be, we actually beat the targets. And so um, we're not like a traditional, yeah, I guess it just there was a path there that we could do this as a non-for-profit and we thought it's going to have more impact if we can keep it that way. The other side to it is we also wanted to develop well, it's, the other it's switch. It's really exciting. But oh, sorry. I was just going to say that like it makes it a lot more transparent. We can't give a tokenistic amount to our projects and then sell this to a big tech company in five years' time because even if there was a sale, the money is not ours and there's a constitution and a registered charity there where we'd go to prison if we started pocketing that money. It's, it's got to go towards our benevolent purposes. And so it gives comfort to us, to our, you know, all the people that have helped us get here but also our clients who you know, believe in our mission that we're not going to sell out. Uh, it is so important. I'm so grateful that you're you're approaching it this way. I want to drill down now on the the services, the ideas, the tools you're using to make events more accessible to people with disabilities. Uh, that, that, that's something that uh, is so easy for event organizers to overlook, and in so many ways. And I'm becoming more attuned to this myself, but I'm still not good at it. But but my wife has some disabilities that she's developed over time. And so now I'm becoming more, more sensitive, but I'm still not good at it. What are the kinds of problems you see and what are you doing to fix them? And how do you coach other people to fix their problems in terms of making events more accessible? Yeah, sure. Great question. Um, so firstly, I'm just going to step back for a second. Event organizers, really tough industry. It's hard to, like people don't realize a lot of events break even at best. And so event organizers are under pressure. They don't necessarily have the time or knowledge to address this problem. It's not that they don't care. It's that they've got a million other fires to put out. And we've recognized that. So if you think back a hundred years ago, venues did not have wheelchair access. And if that was still a problem today, we'd have a charity going around lobbying for some regulatory changes so that it's required, but also um, maybe even building ramps into into theaters recognizing that they're non-for-profits and probably coming out of COVID. So in a digital sense, it's the same problem. So one of the biggest areas would be vision impairments. Um, most, lots of websites out there, if, if you're blind, you probably use a screen reader device on your iPhone or whatever you use, and that reads to you on what's on the website and helps you navigate it. But it needs the website to play ball. It needs that behind images, there's text descriptions of what that image is. Um, there's a whole layers to it, and there's leaders in web accessibility 
um, a group called Nobility, which is based in the US. They're one of the world's leaders in accessibility. They go to businesses and audit their websites to make sure they're compliant and help them get there if they're if they're wanting to invest in this. Um, and so that's one tangible example where um, Nobility, uh, they actually found about, about Humanitics through disability forums. Um, they have an event organizer who has a disability, I believe, um, but for the first time now with Humanitics can independently run their own events. So it's not just customers buying tickets, it's event organizers as well. So vision's a really big piece of the puzzle there. It, it gets way more nuanced. So, okay, you're just sticking on the theme of um, vision impairments. You're going to a conference at a, at a, at a um, somewhere in a CBD. Now, um, you've got to tell, you've, you've, you've bought your ticket. You're not quite sure where to go. You know, you're going to the International Convention Center. Now, most international convention centers are about a mile radius uh, with lots of different sections. Um, now, if the event organizer just told you the, uh, the International Convention Center, great. You get in your Uber and you tell them International Convention Center, and it's going to be a nightmare trying to find it's, it's It's hard sometimes even when you've got your full vision. And so um, there's a, we've done a range of design workshops with people with varying disabilities, not just vision impairments, to understand what's the information you really need. Because knowing that a venue is wheelchair accessible is not necessarily enough. Um, if you speak to guest speakers who are in wheelchairs, most of them have experiences of, yeah, I was told the venue was wheelchair accessible, but the stage wasn't. So I'm sitting in the stage at a gala dinner. I get called up to give the keynote. I roll up to the front of the room, but I can't get on the stage. Um, it's incredibly embarrassing. I'm in front of 500 people. The host doesn't know what to do. And so on the back end of the platform, we've built some modules that um, with about eight, we've tried to synchronize it down to eight core questions that if the event organizer takes the time to fill out, it gives the person confidence that, uh, over whether they can attend or not. Because a lot of the people with severe disabilities, um, they don't go to events because they've given up because they lack the confidence because they, they don't want to have to call the event organizer and be like, hey, these are my special requirements. Do you cater to me? Like, Often you can't get the contact details of the event organizers. So giving that to them in a way that's convenient is um, is really important. And there's a few other features, but I, I don't want to just go, you know, I don't want to just be speaking the whole time, but I can keep going because there's more we're doing. But um, a big part of it's education as well. Yeah, keep keep going. Okay. Um, so, yeah, on the back end, we've got resources that help uh, teach event organizers. Like, cool, you care about web accessibility or you care about, you know, uh, making your uh, event accessible. Here's best practice in all the different things you should be thinking about. Um, so if you go to humanitics.com and you search events, it's awesome. You can search, cool, I'm in Nashville. I'm going to search for music festivals in this area or, or, or comedy nights or corporate conferences or whatever your taste is. Um, now, right now, um, firstly, just to step back a second on the vision things, I didn't finish off there. To the best of our knowledge, no other registration platform is playing ball down. It's because you don't make money out of it. And so it's a cost center. And so, but as a charity, we don't have that shareholder pressure. So that's why I think this model is really powerful. Um, now, coming back to, sorry, so searching events on Humanitics, you can now screen events by your accessibility requirement, which is really important. Imagine you need sign language because you're deaf um, or um what are you going to do? You're going to you're going to call every event that you're interested in to ask them: Is there going to be anything for me? Is there going to be sign language? Is there braille at this education event? So we enable the event organizer to um, checkbox what they cater to at their event, and then we become an event catalog that you can filter by accessibility requirement, which is actually filling a major hole for people with varying disabilities. 
In Australia and New Zealand, that's become more meaningful. In America, it's not yet because we don't have the full event inventory like market share that we've got in Australia and New Zealand. And then there's also an education piece because we, um, you know, that's been developed over the last years. We've only been around for six years. So, you know, this is, we have not solved event accessibility. I'd never want to say that, but um, we, we believe we're the market leaders in it. And that's what, uh, so in Australia, Vision Australia, even the government's Royal Commission on Disability Services, they run events, they use us. So we've been adopted by the community, which tells us we're doing it right. And we've done design workshops with them to try and make it right. And so it's like, we're doing our genuine best effort, but it's, it's much more complicated than just the registration platform. But uh, there's, there's other pieces. So like, cool, you're blind, uh, you, you've registered for the event. Uh, most people register for an event weeks, if not months before they go to it. So now it's event morning, you're blind. You're trying to find the event details, trying to order your Uber through your phone using, you know, uh, voice commands and screen readers, et cetera. Um, you got to go try to find your way back to the event page to find the information you need, which is going to take you half an hour. Um, and so we sync into the calendar invite that goes into their diary, the accessibility answers that the event organizers pulled in. And so that way they open up the calendar invite. It's got the location and it's got all the accessibility information, click voice to uh, text to voice. And it's going to give you that information in a few minutes. Um, and so again, this is an iterations. We haven't perfected it. A lot of people don't yet know about it, but uh, it's it's all just part of the journey of trying to solve the problem. We're not we haven't solved it, but we're we're finding cool innovations that hadn't been thought of before. Um, you know, through consultation with with people that are affected by it. And so, Nobility in America, um, they're now a client of us, but they're also a partner because they, you know, um, we're releasing new features every couple of weeks and. Uh, accessibility is an ongoing thing. It's like you can get a certificate saying you're accessible in April, but like if you release things in June, that certificate doesn't matter anymore. And so we don't really care about the certificate. It's just about genuine best efforts to do that. And so they'll they'll write to us and be like, your new waitlist feature, by the way, this image here doesn't have text behind it. So that, that's breaking down there. We're like, great. Thank you for flagging that. It's in our bug system. It will get fixed in the next week or two. So just constant improvement. Yeah, that's that's a, a really an important effort that you're making to try to not only create a, a platform for for uh, booking events, but also trying to train the event organizers and make make us more sensitive to the issues around uh, having great events for uh, that are accessible. And it only makes sense for event organizers, right, to create events that more people can attend sell more tickets. This is, it's really uh, makes perfect sense. Uh, and, but it's clear too, that your model of having a nonprofit do this work is critical to its success. Um, you're new in the United States, launched last fall. Uh, tell us a little bit about your plans and projections uh, for your global expansion. Yeah, sure. So um, we've set up our U.S. headquarters in a 501c3 entity in Denver, Colorado. Um, loving it. I just got back from three months there and I'm going back in a few months, possibly permanently. And um, and yeah, we're hiring, we, we've hired a sales and account management team. Um, we've already got well over a thousand events on live on the platform, ranging from conferences to 10-person yoga workshops to we just won the biggest mushroom festival in the country, which is in Telluride. So it's going well. Um, Nexus, which is a big philanthropy group, they run a massive summit in New York. They've just switched over. So, you know, we're having wins. Um, and uh, the, the, the vision here is, um, 
look, if we can scale to a similar size as Eventbrite in America, which we've achieved, we think, in Australia and New Zealand, we should be spitting out roughly 20 to $30 million a year to our education programs. We'll be a lot more advanced in improving accessibility at live events. Um, and we also save non-for-profits money when they ticket through us because we let them use our platform at a uh, sustainable cost price, which should keep coming down over time. It's, it's already uh, like inclusive of credit card fees. It's 50 cents and 2.5% in Australia, which uh, is, is, you know, Stripe on its own is, is pretty much more than that. Um, so uh, we save thousands of charities money. So that's the vision here. We want to have this annuity donation stream. We want to have solved accessibility at live events, and we want to be helping other non-for-profits run their events at, um, the low, with the lowest possible administration costs because you know, there's a lot of leakage um, for charities running their own events and fees they pay or fees their donors pay, which is still margin that should be going to them. And so, yeah, I guess beyond America, yeah. we're live in Canada. Well, it's it's brilliant work. Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, that's fantastic. Well, I'm excited to see you succeed at this at this work. Uh, obviously, uh, having made the success you have in Australia and New Zealand already, in addition to launching here in the United States, uh, we have to give you credit for being a very successful entrepreneur and. And in essence, you've donated the value of that success uh, to others. And and kudos, kudos to you. I've got to ask, what do you see as your superpower? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, my superpower is my friendship with Adam. Um, so Adam's been my best mate uh, pretty much since university days. And uh, I would never have been able to do this without him um, for a range of reasons. Mentally, I think would have been too lonely to step out of a comfortable job to, to take a risk like this. Um, I mean, his skill set is so complimentary to mine. Uh, we have a few rules that just keep us best of mates, even though we've been through a lot of pressure cookers together. Um, just to give you some color on that, like because it's a charity in America, we, we um, to cut costs down on the launch, we, uh, we shared a bedroom for three months <laughs> when we were launching it. So we're incredibly close. Uh, you know, he just got married, he's on his honeymoon right now and, and his wife is like my sister now. And so um, yeah, that's the superpower. Like when you've got a, a, a someone you implicitly trust and love that has your back, um, it, it allows you to be a better version of yourself. And, uh, you know, we've actually now got a management team at Humanitics that are of a similar caliber. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's, it's the, you know, we're all a reflection of the people we spend our time with. And I've been very lucky that I've got a really good family, but like Adam's been an absolute game changer in my path. Um, I think most people don't take the risk because it's it's scary, and it is. I was scared to do it. I, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't have him. And so, yeah, Power, this superpower yeah. of friendship, as corny as that sounds, that that is inspiring. <laughs> right, thanks. Yeah, no, it's 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 a great superpower, and uh, I see how it has already worked for you in the success you're having with uh, Humanitics. If you were trying to coach someone on being a good friend so that this friendship superpower can be theirs, what would you tell them about finding, screening, being a good friend? How does that work? What do you, what do you suggest? Yeah, so I'll share with you the rules me and Adam have, and it's weird to describe rules in the context of a friendship. But uh, we, we, we were quite intentional about this when starting Humanities because we actually said to each other, if this 
starts to eat away at our friendship, we'll both quit and stop it because our friendship matters more to us. Um, and so the first thing we identified as uh, something that could become a problem is resentment. Um, nothing in life is ever fair. And so he had a technology background. And in the first few years, you've got two major problems. One is you've got to build a platform. The other is you've got to fund it. Now, at times, funding is more of the pressure. At other times, the product is more of the pressure. Um, and so at times, he's working till 2 o'clock in the morning. I had a finance background. At times, I'm working till 2 in the morning. But imagine you're sitting there not getting paid. You're not building equity in anything. And you're working your ass off to try and make this work. And your co-founder, who has a different skill set, who isn't at that point, is still working hard, but is having some quality of life. It would be pretty easy to be sit there going, resentment, I might not raise this, but resentment, and that seed of resentment is the future downfall of your friendship. And so just being cognizant that, okay, I've gone into partnership with someone. Um, at, it's going to ebb and flow. If, I've, if I trust him and I trust his work ethic, then I've just got to look through that and recognize that it ebbs and flows. It's a different problem if the person isn't aligned on work ethic. But if they are, then it's going to ebb and flow. And so just be cognizant of that um, and, and not let that eat away at you. The other is to raise things early. So, um, you know, we all get on each other's nerves. It might be that you're not cleaning the coffee machine. Um, now, it sounds like a petty small thing, but if you sit on that, then 99% of the time in my experience, you blow up at them about something else after a, a while. Because it eats away at you, you find you don't even you can't even describe it. But you start to find them a little bit annoying, um, and then other things start bubbling up, and uh, that's the yeah that's the other danger to a friendship or a relationship. I mean, I think this rule is for everything, every relationship I have in life, and so we've become more radically honest. And uh, the the rule is, um, if you raise something, Devin, from three months ago that I did that pissed you off, it's your problem because we're three months later now. If you raise it at the time, great. I have to thank you for raising it because I realize it's awkward and tough to raise things. Most people would like to avoid conflict, but that doesn't solve a problem that pushes conflict down the line and usually in a much bigger form, especially if you have to stay together, which you do if you're co-founders or something. And so we're ra we try to be radically honest. And there's been a few moments on the journey where like um, more me than him actually has let the team down by not raising something early and then raising it three to six months later. And totally recognizing that this was my fault now. Even if he did something wrong, it's my fault for sitting on it. Um, and so that stops anything small from growing into a problem. And we haven't had any serious fights. And so there's a couple of rules there that are really, really important. Um, th those would be the main ones, I'd say. I'm probably forgetting one or two, but, but yeah. Got to raise it early, no matter how small it is. That's great. And... That, that, that those are really good points and and it's exactly the kind of response I would have hoped for but uh, you've far surpassed the insights I would have hoped to get from uh, an impromptu question of that sort so thank you so much for sharing really powerful insights on how how to develop maintain uh, a friendship uh, in a business situation and I, I imagine it applies equally to father, son, mother, daughter, mother, son, you know, partners uh, in organizations that are at least as common in many situations as uh, two friends. So uh, great, 
great guidance. I can't thank you enough for that. Um, Josh, I'm thrilled for the opportunity to have this conversation. And and I would love to talk to you for seven more hours. I hope you've got time. No, uh, the reality is we can't talk for seven hours. I wish we could. But I would love um, for you to just take a minute and tell people how they can learn more about humanitics and how they can connect with you personally, if that's an option. So uh, please share. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, on our website, we've got some content. We've just redone it. So there'll be more content coming out. Um, if Look, I guess there's different people that are interested. You know, from, I'll talk firstly from an event organizer's perspective. Um, you can contact us through our site, book a demo. Uh, you'll be talking to real humans. We have an amazing account management team, so you can always speak to us. And we'd love to understand what type of events you want and see if we can work together. Um, a model is such that it should never cost extra to use us. Um, we don't charge an ethical premium where actually our fees, Eventbrite's the main you know, benchmark and, and our fees are lower than theirs before you even consider the charitable element. Um, if you love what we do and you want to work with us, reach out to me. On LinkedIn is my is the best channel, um, just Joshua Ross um, at Humanitics. And just send me a little one-liner on, on what you want in a chat about and I'll, I'll do my best to make time or, or put you in touch with uh, the right person in our team. But at the moment, we're hiring people in our sales and account management teams in our Denver office, our Sydney office, and our Auckland office. So, um, and we're always looking for great software developers. Um, you know, if you're just wanting to, um, if you're running an organization, want to have more impact, uh, also feel free to reach out to me if there's anything I can share. I'm more than happy to try and give you pointers on, on what we've learned on our journey. Um, and if you're in the PR and marketing world, uh, the more people that know about us, the, the more we get used. It's a, a really great way for you to help us out and use your skills for good. And so on that note, thank you, Devin. <laughs> really appreciate being on here. Um, but those are kind of the, the key areas where if you want to get involved or you want to help us. But we're always open to left field ideas. So by all means, reach out. Josh, thank you so, so much. So grateful for your time today. We... I, as I've come to know what you're doing and better understand it, I just couldn't be more excited about your potential to change the world. Uh, and I'm so excited about what we've already done. I don't mean to make this entirely future case. Uh, here, you're, you're new to me, not new to the world. Uh, but I, I wish you every success. Uh, I, I, hope, uh, I hope that when we talk about booking events that uh, you are what we're talking about in the future, that you're the, just the default option for every event. Um, and I'm certainly going to be working on getting SuperCrowd22 onto your platform right away. Uh, I hope we can make that happen. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we, uh, again, good luck. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me here. And lovely to chat to you. And yeah, look forward to continuing the conversation. All righty. Let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then, let's talk.
Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.